imagination the left unity podcast this episode we're going to be looking at the paris commune so this is part one of a series that we're going to be calling storming the heavens and today i've got steve ryan who's a history student and a member of left unity from wrexham and we, we will be speaking specifically today about the paris commune so welcome steve hello there harry Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, mate. So we start off with um, a very basic question. The Paris Commune, uh, what was it? Yeah, well, I I actually think, although it's a basic question, I think it's important that we do look at the context in which the Paris Commune arose. So Paris Commune, obviously, it's 150 years ago in roughly May that it happened. And it was set against the background, firstly, of war between France and what was to become Germany, an embryonic Germany, uh, particularly Prussia, who were one of the most powerful military nations in the world. French were defeated. But in Paris, what this led to, and I think this is really interesting, was rather than just give in, Paris, which was a bit of a hotbed of radicalism anyway, had been since 1799, but there'd been the working classes uh, in Paris and actually small shopkeepers, artisans, were extremely radical. There were a lot of ideas rushing around there from Proudhon's ideas to Marx's ideas, so on, as we see them today. But they, uh, instead of just sort of accepting defeat, effectively declared a republic and set up what became the Paris Commune. Commune, of course, in France, simply being, uh, we, we see it as a slightly different thing these days, I suppose, to do with communism and everything. But a commune was um, essentially um, an area of administration. And it's, it's interesting now that fairly mundane word, so like parish council, it could have been, if it had been in London, it could have been the London Parish Council, you know. So I've always found that quite amusing that such a mundane word has, has got such resonance to it. Greater London Parish Council. Yeah, Greater London Parish Council, exactly, it would be. So they set up um, this incredible experiment, really. Um, huge hotbed of ideas and, and against the background where they were pretty, where they knew that their time was probably going to be short unless there was a general revolution. I think that's an important thing. People tend to see the Paris Commune, the Paris Commune, as something isolated. It wasn't actually. Other communes have set up throughout France in, in, other, in other cities, which aren't that well documented, to be honest. And the aim wasn't just to be, as I've said uh, in the previous podcast around municipalism, 
doing something in your own area is really important, but it has to be linked up. And that's where the Paris Communards, as they became known, um, realized that in their best interest, they had to spread this throughout France and indeed elsewhere. And were very keen to say that they were internationalists. This wasn't just about Paris. They wanted to spread these ideas, this revolution um, through France and actually European, if not worldwide. So it was a really interesting first example, you could argue, of a working class, if not a workers, and I think there's a difference there, a workers revolution that came about. So they established themselves uh, uh, as the Paris Commune. So what exactly did it do? Well, it, it began to experiment with completely different ways of being, if you were, and of administrating stuff. You know, there's always been this thing um, between anarchists and Marxists about do you take over the state or do you smash the state? But actually, if you look at what both say, what they're really saying is what you can't do is simply take over a capitalist version of a state, that you have to create a state if that's what you're going to do, but it has to be different. And I think where the communards and a lesson for today perhaps were successful uh, was that they managed to find a really good medium between the anarchist point of view, which is to smash the state, set up the commune, so on, and also those that saw that there was some degree of representative democracy that was needed. But in doing that, that was really interesting. So, for example, anybody who was representing people were directly elected. They were subject to recall, things that we, we look at today and think, yeah, well, you know, 150 years later, wouldn't that be fab just at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> it would be good. Um, the interesting point, too, I think, was that the commune came about without any actual leadership per se. Most, most of the sort of influential leaders were either elsewhere, for, so for example in London, because they'd been sent away or they'd fled, because um, we've got to remember that France was a highly repressive place at the time, um, hated by most socialists and anarchists because of that. But also quite a few of the leaders, because of that too, were banged up. So when this came about, it really did come from below. It really did come from the working classes of, of Paris, small shopkeepers, artisans, women. There's a criticism that women didn't play a huge role in the commune, but given the times, they started to pave and make a big space for themselves, both within setting up co-ops, within education, within um, some of the representative things that were done. So it was a huge explosion of ideas. Um, and one thing that I just want to say, um, like Harry, you're a musician, and I think one of the things that's forgotten about the Paris Commune yeah. was that although this was a very serious business, and they knew, of course, that they had to really spread this or their time was limited, which inevitably, as we know, historically was what happened. It was drained in blood, regrettably, because they had one of the most powerful military operations in Europe, if not the world, standing by, together with the might of, the, of what was left of the French state, who obviously wanted to crush them, because you can't go having working class revolutions, can you? You know, when you're there. Nevertheless, if you read through a lot of the histories, what you don't get sometimes, but is there, 
was there was a real carnival atmosphere. There was music, there was poetry, there was street theatre, there was celebration. There was all sorts going on, uh, aside from the sort of serious nature of it. So it felt like a liberation as much as it did anything else. I mean, some of the other stuff they did was quite incredible, I think. They abolished debt, effectively. They froze rents, something that's really interesting when you look at what's been happening with the pandemic and some of the calls from the left that have been out there at the time. They strongly, yeah. Um, one of the criticisms, obviously, is that they didn't go far enough in taking over private property. And I'll come to that perhaps a little bit later. But what they did do, I think, was to seize the opportunity where they could to allow workers to take over. So if somebody had abandoned a shop or a factory or whatever, um, co-ops were encouraged and set up. It was a more cooperative thing. Workers began to run that. It's very pluralistic. They abolished the death penalty. They abolished conscription. Huge amount of stuff. Education was compulsory, made compulsory for all kids up to 12 which these days might seem, oh, that's a bit regret. But that was an amazing step forward, uh, yeah. particularly for working class people, for, you know, for the <clears throat> people coming out of there. So it's a remarkable example of what can be done when you release people's potential, I would argue. I, I was reading reading up about it over the weekend, and um, one, of the, one of the big, well, one of the major criticisms, really, of the commune was that, they um, they didn't take over the banks, and you know that obviously that played against them really. And also the second thing that the the, the second thing that I read that they really ought to have done uh, was to have gone to Versailles as quickly as possible, and basically um, they should have threw through the 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 existing government out of Versailles. But they didn't do that. Um, so what they did, they allowed their political enemies to actually build the um, build build the you know what turned out to be the forces against them. Anyway, so I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I th I, th I think you know if if you're going to take lessons around the commune, I mean, I think that first of all we've got to recognise that the commune arose as so many beacons to to people who are socialist whether you're an anarchist or marxist or social democrat whatever tend to arise at times of crisis um and which the commune did did they make mistakes well of course they did this was something that had never happened before it's why marx got so interested in it when he wrote the civil war in france and everything but they should yes they had huge amounts of money led in the bank but one of the problems then was it wasn't a working class revolution in the way in which, for example, Marxists would know it now. So, for example, in the way in which Marx thought about it, this still had some resonance to 1789, where there were certain elements of class there who still valued um, property. Prudenists, for example, who were anarchists, quite often were had some quite some influence within what was going on there and although Proudhon is famously quoted as saying um, all property is theft he didn't actually mean individual small private property in that sense so I think they they were trying to draw together many conflicting points of view 
which led them to that. And of course, in terms of going to Versailles, yes, they probably should have done that. But I think what they were trying to do was to consolidate their base in Paris, first of all, and to measure up whether, in fact, they actually had the people to do it. They got the bear in mind that the, the French army had started, was still out there. What they had in terms of guns and everything was the National Guard, which had been brought over to their side. So I think, you know, it's easy for us to look back and say, well, should oh, yeah. have matched the Versailles, but did they have the forces to do that? And I mean, let's be honest, as it turned out, they didn't because regrettably they were drowned, as we said earlier, in uh, quite a bit of blood, regrettably. Yeah. So, yeah, but there's a lesson to be learned there, isn't it? And which you could put into the Paris Commune, you can put into what happened in Chile, that if you're taking over, you regrettably have to be a little bit more ruthless, perhaps, than many of us would um, choose to be. So, you know, given given that, and and given that, you know, we're, I, I totally agree with you about the the, the what happened in um, Chile. Those that, that footage of Allende right at the end with the with with his um, helmet on and carrying a rifle, skulking out of the building, and realizing maybe what he ought to have done was what they did in Cuba, which was arm the people immediately. Mm. Right, you know that, that that may have that may have helped, but of course he didn't. So, moving on, then we seem to have drifted into the next question about the lessons for today. What are the lessons? What are the major lessons um, from the Paris Commune that we, as um, socialists, can look at for, uh, for today's society? I think there's several lessons. I think first there's a big overall lesson which is there's always a debate about how you bring about a revolution. Um, is it, you know, there's a there's this spontaneity issue, there's a leadership issue. But I think what the Paris Commune shows is that you've always got to be prepared for the unexpected. And the way to do that, I think, when you look at what happened in Paris, as I said earlier, this wasn't led by any particular factional leadership. There wasn't a revolutionary party that had said, right, you know, today we've got to do this. This came from the bottom up. That said, I think it's really important to realise just how radical Paris was at the time. You know, over the years, there have been certain cities, Vienna, for example, in the early 19th century, uh, 20th century, sorry. But Paris has always been pretty radical, which is what we've seen with the yellow vests you know, today. That tradition carries on. So it's about educate, the, the old thing, isn't it? Educate, agitate, organise. Yeah. Quite clearly, the education had been taken on board. People were being agitated through. So when the time came and a time of crisis arose, people knew what to do. You know, I mean, they didn't know what to do afterwards, and but, but it was in, other than in terms of the experiments that they very successfully turned out. But they had a pretty good idea that things had to change, they had a pretty good idea that they needed to take over. They had a pretty good idea of some of the basics that that needed. I mean, for example, you were saying earlier about Allende, and of course, yeah, one of the things the Paris Commune did straight away was to arm everyone. They had a citizen's militia. Uh, very, very interesting thing to look at and to think about, and how would that turn out today? I think the other lesson, though, is that the left has actually got an amazing amount of things that it can do 
and it can practically do. And I've argued this before, I think. If you look at the sort of municipalism that we talked about, Harry, in our last podcast, if you look at yeah. the kind of ideas and the imagination that the Paris Commune showed us we could have, and more to the point, if you actually trust working class people uh, to, do, to get on and to run their own lives, they do a pretty good job, frankly. You know, I, I really don't subscribe to this thing that people are naturally selfish, that people don't know what to do, that people are educated or intelligent enough. History shows us, and the Paris Commune was perhaps the first time that that really came to the fore. Ordinary people who lead pretty awful lives sometimes, given an opportunity, can create something quite beautiful and quite inspiring. And I think that's something that, particularly at the moment, with everything that's going on, I think we need to hang on to uh, very much indeed. I think um, that's really interesting, the, the, the whole issue of, of how do you give people the confidence actually to use the existing skills that they have and have to have in order to uh, exist within the, within the society that we live in. Uh, it, it is a, that's, that's a really big issue. Because, you know, so many people um, think that, that somehow or other uh, they're not good enough to be able to do the kind of things that, that people who are, who are in uh, positions of power and authority do. Uh, they, 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 you know, they think, oh, well, we, we could, you know, we leave it, we leave it up to them. They, they deal with all those issues. They're too difficult. But actually, when you look at their their life skills that they use on a daily basis, they're having to make really complicated decisions all the time. Particularly, you know, when when you're in the middle of a, a, a of a real uh, crisis of capital, which we face at the moment, so many people are having to really do incredible things in order to just just to be able to put food on the table and and pay their rent and quite often they're not even doing that but they're still using skills in order to keep their families going right now i back in the day when I, I i worked a bit for the glc in their central training unit one of the big things there was how do you encourage working class people who are employed on manual worker contracts um, to, how do you encourage them to come forward and you know take part in both education and and also um, external learning really it's it is a big issue that the whole issue of giving people the confidence to recognize that this they've got skills within them that they do use on a daily basis and you know i did a lot of work around that at that time you know both both in terms of designing training courses and also, um, you know, going out and running those courses with, with quite a lot of frontline staff in the, who work for the GLC. Right. Of course, Thatcher didn't like it really, what was going on at the GLC. There was so much stuff going on there that was truly revolutionary, I think. Right. And, and really, you, you know, the, the collapse of the GLC is something that's, that, that still rankles with me. I think that was an abuse, really, of power by that by Thatcher. Well, anyway, yeah, anyway. no, I, I I agree with you, and I think that's 
you know, what are, what are some of the other lessons we might learn? And certainly, as we've already alluded to, that's one that you've got to start to think about how you hang on to those gains. Yeah. Uh, and as we, as we keep saying, you cannot build in an isolated area. You have to build that out. I think the other big lesson, too, that the Paris Commune gives us is this whole thing about smashing the state and rebuilding it in your own image. You can't just take it over. And I think with some of the things we're seeing uh, over the last few days, over the, the the reaction to the dreadful murder of Sarah Everard, you know, yeah. the, the question the question obviously is men, but it's why men, if it's men, why do men do that? And it's a structural thing. And you have to that you have to take on the state, not just in terms of the instruments of state, but also how what that is built on. Um, in terms of expectations and so on. And I think the communards, in the very short, you know, you could you you could criticize it all the way in many ways and be very pure about it. But what they achieved in a short space of time, who knows what have happened what it would have happened if things had gone differently. And as a historian, I'm not really into the what ifs because that didn't happen. But I think as it shows a beacon and it began to build stuff if you look at the Paris Commune if you look at what happened in Barcelona in the 1930s and the sort of innovative stuff that went on there you know Orwell's famous quote I'm not that he didn't really like it but he understood what was going on because he, he was a bit aloof from it Homish Catalonia explains that quite well there's this these waves that come where people take over their own lives and I think we learn from those all the time. And for those that say, yeah, but every one of those have failed. There's a fabulous quote, I think it's from Samuel Beckett, which is, have you failed? Well, try again, fail again, fail better. And just at the minute, what I would say, Harry, is that I think that those are words that we really need to hang on to. To my mind, what has been happening over this last year or two is the beginnings of a perfect wave. We've seen the pandemic demonstrate that the state and capitalism can't cope and who the, the important people are. The Black Lives Matter movement has brought to the fore the systematic racism. What's happened over the weekend is brought to the, the fore how the state reacts if you try and go against them, even if it's something as dreadful as exposing sexism. And all the organs of state at the moment, the royalty last week as well, are being exposed for what they are. Now that can go two ways. And I think it's up to us on the left to start getting in and explaining and making the case that a lot of this, I'm not saying the abol abolition of capitalism gets rid of sexism and so on, because it doesn't. Um, you know, I've been in the trade union movement, which used to be dominated by white males, whose attitudes at some stage to both race, sex and so on was pretty awful. But yeah. those systematic structures, which the commune got rid of, which allowed, if you look at it carefully, which started to allow for people to have a voice, whoever you were, is what we need to challenge and that capitalism will always exploit those things. So we've got a perfect storm coming. And if we look back to things like the Paris Commune, can we learn from history? Yes, I think we can, because what we can do is to start to understand what happened and how that might work in a modern context when we come across similar um, experiences. So I think it's a really interesting time at the minute with the 150th anniversary of the Commune 
and what is happening generally around the world. You know, if you look at Myanmar, for example, people are fighting back all around the world. People are starting to stand up and fight back again. We'll see a lot more Paris communes, I think, over this next year, particularly if the pandemic does die down and people get back out on the streets. Well, I, I think you're right. And I think this is this is one of the reasons um, why so many um, governments and regimes around the world seem to have um, really talked up over the last few years in terms of militarizing their police forces. Right. This is, I think this is, a, you know, this is a major um, reason that I think they understand that they're heading into, as you say, a perfect storm. Right. One of the, one, one of the major things that's going on is that, you know, arms fairs, which in the past were always attended solely by representatives of the, the military, you know, the army, navy, and air force personnel, the top brass, and, and um, their their own um, development staff would all turn up their share ideas, and that would be a nice hunky dory little war club, right? For want of want of a better phrase. But now, when when you when you look at what the personnel who are going to arms fairs now, more and more there there, there are representatives of police forces from all over the world going along there and looking at the latest military equipment and are equipping their police, uh, you know, their police stations with, with, with this stuff. And that is in part because I believe that, that they know the game is up, right? When you've got such a, such a, um, a modern um understanding amongst people of new technology and the ability to do exactly what we're doing which is communicate directly with each other you know you using communications that that means it's a completely different scenario to what it was i mean back when the paris commune was right you know to to get out and and get their communications so we didn't get leafleting and and all of that was a was a real headache, right? you know, really difficult. And you know, right the way up, I, you know, I can remember being being involved in different disputes and campaigns over the years. You know, being in a back room with a with a duplicating machine, yeah, you know, exactly. a Ronio or a Gestetner, and like turning turning out leaflets to get them out to people. Now you can really. You know, you can re you can really communicate in a in a, in a big way, and I, I think the state in many countries that the re one of the reasons why they've moved so far to the right is because they see how how easy or how much easier it is for those of us who are interested in in a progressive future for the people. Right? How how much easier it is for us to organise, and so in a sense, the ideas that were that were generated by the Paris Commune. Right. And and you know by by various various um, renowned writers over the years, you know Proudhon, Marx, and you know everybody since, uh, and some before really. You know you have to include people like Win Stanley in in on all of this as well. I think, right. you know those ideas are are fundamental to bringing about 
a progressive society. Right? And so, you know, it makes that so much easier now, isn't it, to be able to, to disseminate ideas and, and information. And, you know, the, the ideas that were, that, that, that were already put forward, right, they still exist. That's a big thing, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the state believed that they can manipulate people through, the, through false and fear. But the one thing they can't do, they cannot kill an idea. They can't kill ideas. And that, yeah. that, that was never more, more apparent, really, than in Vietnam, when the Americans eventually you know, found that it didn't matter how many Vietnamese people they killed, they couldn't kill the idea. And that's why they lost. It, so. it, exactly, Harry. And I think what the Paris Commune shows, too, is that I think sometimes the left gets awfully, awfully dragged down with economic issues, and economic issues are obviously very important. Yeah. But what the commune shown, as I said earlier, was that you know the old phrase, isn't it? We need bread, but we need roses too. And I think when we're building a movement against capitalism, which is what we so desperately need to do, it does need to be pluralistic, but it has to be fun. It's a yeah. very serious, you know, it is the most serious thing that you could possibly get involved in. But if it isn't fun, if it doesn't give some idea of a society beyond this one in which it's going to be a good place to live, that it's going to be interesting, it's going to allow you to flower uh, as the person that you are, it's going to allow ideas to take off, then it needs to be something more than just, well, you know, actually we need to fight for the right to work and get everyone a decent wage important though those things are and i think one of the you know the commune education was one of the first things that they did for people the fact that they looked at democracy the fact that they started to put things in people's own hands and us was was just incredible and 150 years later we're still looking at those sort of ideas and they've been as i said before exemplified in many places you mentioned the glc rojava i've got a list here fearless cities movement the movement towards participatory democracy argentina it goes on and on and on and that always gives me hope because yes okay we don't have a socialist society but i think that those seeds are always there every time people say they're finished those green shoots come up again in the spring um and i think if we keep looking at that and we celebrate things like the 150 years of the commune, and it's got everyone talking again around it. Rosa Luxemburg, of course, it's the anniversary of her birth as well. Very important person, I think, someone that I find very interesting. If we keep our history alive, <coughs> it keeps those ideas alive. And if those ideas stay alive, then it gives us a base on which to work on. And a, a not, you know, a blueprint for the future to some degree that we can start to fill in some of the dots. So, yeah, hugely important, I think, that we celebrate it. Well, I agree. And I, I, I do think that the cultural side of things as well, you know, is very important, you know, and, and you know, involving people in cultural activities, right, and rather than doing what, uh, you know, what... Um, Chairman Mao and, and his wife did with the Cultural Revolution when they went out and imposed culture on on people. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, the way forward is is to celebrate the culture of the people at the time, what they're really interested in, 
and encourage them to actually, you know, develop and plough within it, really. So, yeah, I agree. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It's been really interesting. I think we've we've come to the end of it. We're, we're trying yeah. to keep these as short as possible. So um, I look forward to talking with you again about uh, another issue and we'll have a little chat sometime about about what that might be i think maybe yeah. rosa luxembourg might be a place to go yeah but anyway yeah, absolutely yeah always good all right thank well, you harry thank you so indeed. and uh, that's the end of this podcast uh, for today um, i hope you enjoyed it and you'll come back for the next one this is harry rogers at political imagination saying farewell comrades See you soon. Una mattina mi sono alzato. Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Una mattina mi sono alzato e ho trovato l'invasore. Partigiano, portami via, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 partigiano, portami via, che mi sento di morire, e se io muoio, da partigiano, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e se io muoio, da partigiano, tu mi devi Ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e questo è il fiore del partigiano.